to celebrate the 125th anniversary of the formation of Yeovertown Football Club, we are running a series of five one-hour specials, tracing the club's history with well-known author of Henford to Hewish, Kerry Miller, and our head of sport, A.D. Hopper. Each programme will cover a 25-year span of the club's history and include some audio memories of events in that period. Right, good morning everybody. Welcome to the History of Yeovil Town uh, on their 125th anniversary. And uh, I have with me today to, to chart the uh, the rise to fame and fortune of Yeovil Town, uh, a very uh, recognisable character, Kerry Miller, who wrote the book Enford to Hewish. Kerry, good morning. Thanks good morning. for joining us. That's okay, thanks a lot. 125 years then mate it's a long time isn't it it is a long time there's a lot of things have happened and uh, when you look back to sort of the 1890s when it all started it's uh, it's a million miles away but it's fascinating nevertheless yeah absolutely it is indeed so how did you get involved in all this then Kerry well um it was sort of 20 years or, or so that uh, I got a call from Lee Edwards, who uh, is a historian like myself. Um, so he wrote the Southern League book, and uh, he suggested that I contacted uh, the club and Alan Skirton, in fact, um, to see whether and there was a possibility of uh, researching and writing the club's history. Because uh, although Brian Moore, bless him, had had done a, an excellent uh, uh, research and book, uh, there was there was room for a larger one with everything in it. And um, luckily, the club came up and said, "Yeah, okay, we'll do it." Uh, John Fry and Brian and Alan, Alan got behind it commercially, got the sponsorship going, and um, we were up and running. And uh, you know, from a point of view of doing the job, I mean, looking at some of the research that must have gone into it, it must have been a, a, a fair old uh, job, wasn't it? Well, it was, but um, of course, you're very lucky uh, here that. Um, well, the Western Gazette has always covered Yeovil, yeah. and um, their archives were available. I mean, when I when I first started the research, the Somerset Heritage uh, Centre didn't exist in Taunton. Right. Um, so it was a case of just using the clunky old microfilms. Yeah, yeah. In the libraries, uh, but that's how it uh, that's how it came about. And of course, once you exhaust those um, avenues then you have to go further afield to get the likes of the newspaper library at uh, Collindale yeah and um, but to slowly but surely it's it's like doing a 5,000 piece jigsaw <laughs> and having a couple of pieces missing and you have to go around the country to try and find them but uh, we did in the end and, and uh, roughly how long did it take you to do from start to finish then? I think I think it probably took a couple of years yeah um, it was um, it was very enjoyable because I mean the, the the club it's a fascinating club as you well know mm, mm. and um, they they've had plenty of ups and it's a, it's a lot easier to research a club that's on the up mm. than one that's on the down because um, you know, quite quite often I found that uh, the press sometimes because of various reasons don't get behind a club. Or there's um, there's not enough room in the papers, so you have to scan right through for any little snippets of info. Mm, yeah, um, yeah. But, uh, it's it's lucky that um, you know with the various papers that have been in in and around the town, uh, the club has been covered, and um, and so it was it was very enjoyable. So let's 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 start looking a little bit deeper then, Kerry. Um, 
1895, at, yeah. at which point, I mean, there'd been some sort of activity before then, but, but really the sort of, the first sort of Yeovil Town club sort yeah. of uh, evolved then, is that right? Yes, I mean, th- there was, there was um, football in the town in the 1880s, the late 1880s, um, there'd already been a few clubs in Somerset that had started off and, got, and begun to get the get to, to grips with the laws and how just how to play the game hmm. um, uh, such as Street and Clevedon and Port and Rovers and people like that um, they were clubs already in existence um, in Yeovil um, it, they were uh, one or two clubs connected to churches and youth clubs and things like this Yeah, and um, we had um, I think it was Yeovil um, Congregational Swifts were a club which um, <laughs> one of the first clubs in the town and they sort of took over from the very first Yeovil um, who played at um, the old cricket ground which is um, now covered by parts of Westlands or yeah, yeah. it is now um, that would have been in the 1880s uh, they only lasted a year or so, and then if they accrued debts of ten or fifteen pounds in late Victorian times, that was a bit of a nightmare. Yeah. So rather than, it, it wouldn't matter if they lost every game, but if they made four or five quid profit and they weren't in debt, that was seen as a success. <laughs> right. Um, right. But of course, in the first year they lost fifteen quid or something, mm. and um, and so they folded, and then another an, another team called. Congregational Swifts took over. Yeah, they morphed into Yeovil Swifts, and then um, I think the 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 big people of the town, football-wise um, or benefactor-wise, decided that there should be a bigger te- uh, club, um, a more properly w- uh, run run club, and so the the first Yeovil Football Club were formed. Um, which did quite well, and then they just decided, right, okay, Yeovil Casuals, 1895, uh, we're going to play on the cricket ground, we've got a pavilion, we've got um, sufficient people trying to run us, and um, and they were off and running. And although there's there's been several mergers and uh, a couple of world wars and what have you, that was the start of um, what's now Yeovil Town Football Club. And uh, as I research your book, as we sit here talking... <coughs> um, Somerset Senior League, 1895-96. Yeovil Casuals finished third from bottom. Yes. Um, with nine points from 12 games. So a good, yeah. reasonable start. They didn't get relegated. They poor. didn't get relegated. And of course, what, what you have to remember is that prior to that, um, the uh, the clubs were playing football one day, uh, one week, and then rugby the next. Yeah. Um, because depending on how many men were available, because I mean there, there weren't men didn't have free time no. to play, um, especially uh, during harvest and things like this. And of course, being a rural area, harvesting must have taken a yeah. a big toll when it was uh, very much. when it was due to be done. You know, yeah. so uh, so that was the start, yeah. basically, the start. Uh, of which we're basing the 125 year anniversary on. Yeah. Um, how did things progress from that point then? Well, Yeovil, um, Yeovil Casuals, um, as I said, they were playing. They were playing at West Hemford, and by by um, by having a look at the old maps of the town from 150 years ago, and then putting a new map across it, as you can now do with the the, the website available, you can pinpoint exactly where the pitch was. Yeah. 
and they were kicked off of that ground but moved to um, a pitch, uh, a, a field virtually next door for a couple of years while they tried to establish their self. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then once they had established their self and they'd um, got back into the good books of the owner of the original field, which was where the cricket ground was, mm -hmm. back they went and they were up and running. And, and according to your book, 1896-97, they, yeah. they won the league. Yes, they did. They won the league, and of course they were sort of sporadic cup wins as well at the time. And it's it's wonderful to actually read in the um, um, in the bound volumes about how excited people were when when they won uh, when the cups were won. I mean, um, the Somerset Junior Cup, which was the reserves, um, they won that. Yeah. Uh, in in a final, I think it was against Radstock. I'm not sure, but. Um, they were, they were. Um, the band came out and played them all the way back from from the town, and and they were carried head high, and and you know the old place went mad because the Somerset Junior Cup was won, well. um, and it was the start of, of what was a good period. Yeah, absolutely. Well, then looking in the book here, we go eighteen ninety seven ninety eight, finished runners up by the look of it to Street. Yeah. Um, Presumably, by this still, you know, the whole club was beginning to get established. That'd be fair to say. Yes, it was. I mean, they they were. Um, it was it was very very early days, obviously, and there were rudimentary um, um, sort of places w within the ground that that um, for people to go. I mean, if they wanted to attract people to build the club up, especially females. Yeah. Um, what they firstly had to do was organise some kind of um, area for them to stand because yeah. in very late Victorian times, long crinoline dresses and what have you, mm. expecting them to walk across a muddy field um, was not really uh, not really on. No. So lots of duck boards would have been would be put down, and there was talk of trying to um, put up some kind of cover. Um, Specifically for the women to attract them, and because more benefactors would then come and, and lords yeah. and ladies and all of that, and and that's how it very it, that's how it began, and very slowly <coughs> they began to build the club up um, as it went into um, as Victoria died and it went into the Edwardian era very briefly. Um, they got um, they got quite they got strong, and, mm. and it was. Um, there was not really any looking back from that on, from then on. It looks as though that the season sort of went from sort of middle of September through to the end of April, which is perhaps a little bit shorter than in, in uh, the present day. Uh, but then I noticed in 1898, they branched out and, and started playing in the Dorset District League as well. Yes, they did. Um, what happened uh, was that uh, there was a problem, I believe, the year before. Um, and um, they, they, I think that, that they actually came out of the Somerset League because they were told they had to replay a game and, and uh, they said, no, we're not doing that, we, we'll resign from the league, which was uh, quite, quite a common occurrence at yeah. times because um, clubs, could, uh, clubs could go against a, a, re a result just by saying that they believed somebody was not registered or didn't live in a certain in within a 10 mile radius of the town mm. um, and so they they came out with somerset and went into um the dorset league 
um, where there's a fair amount of travelling when you consider it was 1898, the likes of Poole, Dorchester, yeah. Weymouth and Bournemouth. Mm. Um, it was all obviously by train. Yeah. Um, but of course, that was only there were only 12 games, and so that they decided that they would go back into the Somerset League with a towel between the legs, <laughs> and um, and uh, they were third in that. So there were, as you can see, there were yeah. 22 league games, which was plenty with yeah. two or three cups. Yeah. Um, because you know men weren't always available, and more to the point, um, if you got a team that maybe wasn't doing particularly well. Um, players would tend not to go to away games, and um, <laughs> you know they, they would just either play for a reserve side if they had one, or they would just work. Mm. I'd rather go to Bournemouth and Paul and places like that. What What was the quality of the uh, the away grounds like? I mean, you, you've mentioned our ground was sort of not the greatest, but what what were the away grounds like? Well, it was um, when you consider uh, some of the places. I mean, Radstock, for example, in 1890, they played up, um, up on the top of the hill on a ground which is still there. Yeah. And all it would have been was a field, and quite possibly they would have changed either um, against a wall, or if they had um, somebody in the town, uh, one of the pubs in the town, they would change there and go mm. up to the ground either in a um, a break, yeah, or strong break, or they walk. All right. Um, but most of the grounds there um, in those days would have been just a field. Um, Yeovil were fortunate in that they had the cricket pavilion that they could change in. Yeah, at, at West Hempford. Um, Street played um, at Overley, which is just down the road from where they play now. Again, they would have changed in the town and walked up. Um, and that was fairly common in those days. Very rarely did um, grounds at that level have changing facilities or a stand. Um, they they were to come, as far as Yobo was concerned, they were to come as soon as uh, they moved to Penn Mill. Mm. I can imagine our present-day footballers have to put up with conditions like that. <laughs> well, yeah, although, believe it or not, in, in, in some lower divisions in the Devon League for example the, the clubs still do mm. they, they change in the pub or in the village hall and then have to drive up to the pitch yeah yeah uh, even in you know 2020 so at this point then were were, were the players amateur or professional uh, they, they were they were amateur as far as Yobla are concerned yeah um, there were one or two clubs um, who were paying by then uh, in the area it, it was it was legal and accepted, but it was it was frowned upon in a lot of areas. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, very much yoga were amateur then. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we hit the uh, the turn of the century. Yeah. Um, Nineteen hundred. Um, a switch to Wiltshire. What was that all about then? Well, that um, um, Wiltshire was, um, I think, another case of um, there was a they. They decided to come out of the Somerset League for whatever reason, mm -hmm. and were offered a place in the Bristol District League, which which was um, you know it's forty odd miles away. Yeah, but that did happen because there were direct routes, railway routes. Mm -hmm. um, but um, they decided against that um, because the, firstly the Western League turned down. Yeah, um, presumably because their facilities weren't that great. Um, but they went back into the Somerset League again. Um, and back into the Wiltshire League, um, mainly to um, to uh, give them a decent amount of fixtures. Mm, mm. 
but I mean, we we look upon it, you know, eighteen ninety-five to to present day, one hundred and twenty-five yeah. years. Yeah. How many other clubs, you know, around that time would would have the same sort of longevity in terms of uh, their existence? There's there's quite a few around here at the moment that. that uh, where the original clubs are still going. I mean, it, it's 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 tentative with some of them to, to say whether they are, you know, the current clubs, for example. Mm. Um, but, um, for example, Port and Rovers um, were formed in 1891. Right. Um, Bath, uh, Bath, the original Bath City, or the original Bath Football Club, rather, was in the 1880s. Yeah. Um, although this current club was actually formed in 1900. Right. Um, and um, even uh, the likes of uh, Street and Cleveton Town, um, you know, they are uh, old, just as old as, as uh, Yeovil. So there were uh, lots around, but of course in the very early days of football in our area, they primarily there were um, to do with churches, youth clubs um, and societies that was were seen as being for the good of of men folk rather than you know <laughs> yeah yeah money making ideas i see looking at some of the scorers here i, I didn't know len bond played in those years but uh, <laughs> yes, he, a season 1899-1900 bond seems to have got a few goals here yeah, yeah he <laughs> must, that must have been in his very early days yeah yeah goal. must have had his nappies on then i think <laughs> <laughs> but um and, and looking at some of the teams though uh, kerry i mean yeah. Uh, 1899 to 1994 example we've got Bristol East Yeovil Casuals Poulton Rovers Radstock Street Glastonbury Wells City Bridgewater so they were they were all fairly kind of local I suppose Bristol East would have been the furthest oh, and Poulton really wouldn't it well Bristol East yeah was is furthest away um, Poulton when you look at all those clubs there apart from Midsummer Norton um, they are all still going albeit in uh, you know, there's been seven or eight different Bridgewaters. Mm, mm. Um, but yeah, they they um, um, that senior league was actually quite strong. There, sixteen league games, um, and when you look at most of those places, uh, you know they were all all be able to get to them by train. Yeah, um, yeah. Of course, the other option was horse drawn break, where you could have fifteen or sixteen people on a uh, on a break, which was designed for six. Yeah. So, what could possibly go wrong there? Well, exactly. What could possibly go? Wrong? But um, I see this year that that they they finished up runners up, I presume, on either gold. Well, not gold difference because they did it those days. Presumably, gold average was it in those days? They didn't actually do either of those things. Oh. Um, they they would uh, more often than not, if teams were level, they would uh, have a playoff. All oh, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, so that's that's what would have happened there. Right. Um, I'm just looking at the the fixtures for that day. It may well be that they didn't even have a playoff, um, but uh, that's how it would have worked. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't look like there was because there's nothing no. about Bristol East there, is there? No, exactly. Yeah. But sadly, they were runners up. Although if you look at it. Bristol East only um, gave, gave away nine goals all season. Yeah, yeah. They were pretty strong. But, of course, in the Dorset League, we were second from bottom, which was... Uh, yeah, w- yeah. Was that more of a reserve team? or? Well, it was. It, they did used to play um, a, a lot of, of more of the... Le- not lesser players, but um, uh, sort of... <laughs> 
what you can't actually call them squad players because they were just literally whoever was available on the day yeah. that had a rough idea of playing football. Here's a shirt, get out there. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It was, it was um, that was the case, but uh, the Somerset League was the the, the, mm-hmm. the stronger league in those days and of course there were the likes of Portman Street who, who did have um, or especially Street who did have professional players there yeah, One yeah. Or two anyway. uh, at what point did Yeovil start paying then do you know um, I can't I can't remember to be honest uh, without sort of um, mm. researching a bit more it certainly wasn't in that era no right, um, right. because uh, the, the it, it just there wasn't um, there, there wasn't the infrastructure um, and of course, men. You know, most of the men. Uh, you had a sort of a class situation whereby you either had, sort of in the early days, you either had clergymen, or you had teachers, or, or doctors, and so forth playing. Yeah. Or, or you had artisan workers, who really couldn't afford to have much time off, or if they actually played for, the guy that owned the ground, he would sort of, you know, look after them, so that they could play. Uh, but uh, that's that's how it worked. It yeah. weren't um, officially paid anyway. So, moving a year on, yeah. um, second from bottom in the Somerset Senior League, uh, mid-table in the Dorset League. So, not the greatest of seasons by the sound of it. No, but what they were um, what they were doing there was was sort of just trying to keep going. Um, when you look at the um, uh, when you look at the situation, they'd moved. They moved to Penn Mill, mm. um, and they were just gradually trying to work themselves into being um, the senior club in the town and one that was uh, was respected. Yeah. Um, and of course, they got themselves this new ground, which um, which was, as you know, behind behind the hotel. Mm-hmm. It was it was seen as a recreation ground, which was needed. Um, and they were lucky enough to get it, so they'd moved off of Henford. They'd gone into Penmill, and of course they could change in the hotel. They had their own changing rooms, right? Um, uh, just next to the ground, which was uh, quite a rarity. But could, they could then develop from that. They could attract more players, who you know would would, would see that as being uh, a real bonus. And of course they then built grandstand. Mm. Um, which came across from um, I think it was um, Brick, Brickyard Lane, I think it was, which yeah. is now St Michael's Avenue. They took that station uh, grandstand across, and that makes a whole lot of difference to a club when you can attract people, attract uh, benefactors, and keep them dry. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that's really when things kicked off. But when you talk about the hotel, are we talking about the Penn Mill Hotel? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, we are. Yeah. Um, it. If you go there today, I mean, I've not been there for um, two or three years, but um, when I last went there, I did. A, I actually did a piece for the Somerset in, um, for the Sunday Independent about that ground. Mm. And what's wonderful is when you go there and you and you, if you stand in front of the hotel, directly on the left, is the original entrance to the ground, and it's still there. Right. And with the t- the pillars and the gate, and there was a. <coughs> There was a, a like a small driveway into the ground, and it was quite ornate. And it was uh, went in, and then there was the changing rooms, and then on the left, uh, alongside Lyde Road, uh, was the grandstand. Right, right. Um, and uh, and so it um, 
uh, very quickly it became the main ground. Of course, there was no Johnson Park then. Mm. There was no um, there was no major sports grounds at all. But um, that one soon, very soon became very popular. So moving on to 0102, yeah. it looks like we had Wiltshire League, East Somerset and District League, and the Somerset Senior League. Yeah, well, I mean, the situation there really is that um, when you are on an area such as Yeovil where you're very close, you're in Somerset, you're very close to Dorset, you're not that far from Wiltshire, um, if, the, uh, if you don't have sufficient I mean by that time people didn't really want to watch friendlies mm. um, especially with you know there was league stuff going on there was Somerset Challenge Cup um, and there was the, you know they did well in that they were even in the Amateur Cup by those days the, the FA Amateur Cup yeah. people didn't really watch friendlies and if your if your league didn't provide you with enough then you look to other leagues yeah yeah um, I mean with the East Somerset League, that, as you can see, is a reserve league anyway. Mm. But with the Wiltshire League and the Somerset League, that, that gave them 22, 22 games. Yeah, They were in the Amateur Cup, they were in the Somerset Senior Cup, uh, there was Somerset Challenge Cup, um, various other bits and pieces, um, and the FA Cup, Yeah, uh, where they, I think they beat Trowbridge, if I remember rightly, in the first one. Um, and uh, and they lost to Swindon Town. Right. So, um, no, that's that's how far they've gone from yeah. congregational swifts. So, uh, at what point then was um, when was the football league? Uh, well, the football association, I suppose, in those days. Uh, when did that sort of arrive on the scene? Was that prior to eighteen ninety five? Yeah, that was uh, the F. That was twenty years earlier. Um, oh. That um, football uh, began in earnest twenty odd years earlier than that. Um, right, up, up country really. And it was um, it, it slowly worked its way down here. Uh, and what sort of influence would the FA have on the likes of the Somerset District League? Would they that they sort of oversee it, or, or how would it work? Um, well, really, the, the FA, as far as you can work out, the whenever a club, two clubs would have some kind of conflict, they they decide that player had or wasn't registered, or that a game wasn't played, the ninety minutes wasn't played, and they won the game replay. Yeah. Quite often, it would go all the way to the FA. Right. Right. Um, and and they and and the Bowler Hat Brigade would be sat there wherever it was in those days, and they would oversee that. But certainly, the the um, the likes of these leagues here uh, would be uh, self-run, um, and and very methodical as as most things were in the late Victorian sort of Edwardian period. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, moving on then, uh, 1902-3, uh, midway in the Wiltshire League, roughly. Well, if you look at the the, um, the teams in that league, the Wiltshire League is strong there. Mm. Um, it's 20, it's, there's 20 fixtures. Um, and you look at some of the places where they were playing there, Chippenham mm. and Warminster. I mean, uh, Trowbridge, who, who had a nice ground then, um, Bradford on Avon, um, who of course have got a team now again, uh, devises. There were two teams in Chippenham for a start, mm. and, and Melksham, who, who for some reason were decided that they were formed in 1860 something when they, they weren't. But uh, <laughs> you know they they were they had been going a long time by then. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you had 
they were playing good quality opposition then, mm. and they were also able to attract clubs from uh, London to come down and play friendlies. Yeah, um, I mean the very first game that season was against Upton Park. All oh, right, uh, which you know it, that wasn't West Ham United, but it was um, from that area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So things were obviously progressing at a reasonable state, but uh, we still weren't the Oval Town yet. We were still um, the Oval Casuals. Um, season 1903-04. Um, again, Somerset Senior League, what we third from bottom there, but Wiltshire League third from top there. So, uh, so that, but I mean, looking at that, that's 30, 34 games played then. So yeah. gradually the number was pushing up then. Yeah, it was, um, but uh, the club was sort of just beginning to go through a bit of a stagnant spell. Yeah. Um, as you can see from this, the, the senior league, they only won four games yeah. in that. And the uh, Wiltshire League, which was um, run alongside it, wasn't quite so bad, but uh, they, they stagnated a little bit. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, it was it was a time when it was just sort of, it was one of those periods when it was just sort of they were looking for success and it wasn't quite coming although they had one or two players that were beginning to break through and, and make an impression yeah yeah so tell me Kerry how did you um, you know you've got all these results here from from a hell of a long time ago how did you get all, all of this information was that from the Western Gazette archives most of it um that Brian Moore had a lot of um, information, of course, and of course he had every program since the war. So yeah, you know, all of that was in there. But um, yeah, most of it was from from the Western Gazette and um, and the uh, Bristol papers. Right. Um, but of course, when I had areas where I was looking for individual scorers, or or there was the odd game that was played on a Thursday at the end of May or something when there'd been a bad winter yeah. when it wasn't really covered anywhere because you know it would have been played on the day the paper went to bed or something yeah, like yeah. I'd have to go up to London uh, and spend a day or so in Collindale wading through obscure papers to find these fixtures yeah. but they are always there and and it, it's, a, it's a nice feeling when you actually find it's completely immaterial really to to one result amongst several thousand yeah but to 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 not find it is just is not on the cards you've got to find it you don't feel you've achieved your objective no, no it's as i said before it's like doing a huge jigsaw and having one yeah. piece missing you've got to find it yeah so we come to uh, 1904 which according to the book it says here there were two very significant developments in the history of yeovil town so what happened um well petters United were formed mm -hmm. um, and uh, they they went straight into the Yeovil League um, and immediately it was it, it halved the amount of people that uh, were watching uh, Yeovil uh, casuals uh, because Petters were pretty strong they, they immediately got a ground um, in in uh, Brickyard Lane yeah um, now that in itself was fascinating for me because I Firstly, I did. I couldn't find Brickyard Lane. Yeah. Um, of course, for the simple reason that it changed its name to St Michael's Avenue many years ago. Yeah. Um, but uh, knowing that at some point there was a football ground there, um, 
led me off onto other tangents and uh, various libraries and things and, and getting out old maps I've, um, and reading in the in the Gazette that um, Petters United's ground was in Brickyard Lane and it was some um, some something to do with uh, an old school and uh, so I made more inquiries and um, I found that the ground was actually where Yeovil Infant School either is or was. I don't know if it's if it's still there now. Yeah. Um, but the, on the ground on the grounds of what is now Yeovil Infant School, there there was later a set of allotments. All right. And that is where Petters United's first ever works ground was. Right. Um, and they immediately built a stand, and yeah. it's actually that stand that came across to um, Penn Mill. So I mean, Petters was was. Uh, um, you know, attached to Westlands basically, or Westlands became Petters, yeah, uh, or whatever. Um, was the fact that they had more more money behind them a major contribution to the to the situation generally? Then, I think that was almost certainly the case, and and because they primarily were a work side, they would their players would be allowed to play mm-hmm. uh, and had given enough time to to go to the likes of uh, some of the away games. Um, and so, you know, that would have been a benefit for them. Um, yeah. And um, yeah, casuals were, um, they had to up their game, really. Otherwise, you know, they, they could easily have, have, have been overtaken. Mm. But um, as it happened um, on that particular league, uh, they were third in the senior league. Yeah. Um, and uh, third in the Wiltshire League. Yeah. Um, whereas in the actual Yeovil League, um, it was very early days for Petters, but as you as you know, it uh, mm. gradually. So, Kerry, when was the uh, when was the first time that uh, the two teams got together and you know formed Yeovil Town? Um, well, in fact, the the, the first Yeovil Town came um, several years before that, when when the two clubs were going uh, side by side, Petters United and Yeovil Casuals. Mm-hmm. Um, the I think it was the end of 1905-06 season um, when the club was aware that Petters had won the Yeovil League comfortably. They'd won virtually every game. They were very strong. They had their own ground. Uh, they were up and coming. They were backed, obviously. Yeah. Um, and so um, Yeovil uh, decided really that uh, they would dis- they would resign from the Wiltshire League, return to the Somerset Senior League. Um, and there was it was a time that uh, casuals are no more at the AGM. Um, mm-hmm. Yeovil Town Football Club was born, the first Yeovil Town. Right. Uh, and um, it was it was primarily because of the rise of Petters United. Yeah. Um, there was uh, Johnny Haywood first came into the into the team in those t- uh, days and played scored his first of his five hundred and forty eight odd goals. Um, which, as I say in the book, will never be remotely threatened. Mm. Um, and um, so that was when it happened. Um, and uh, of course, they went into the, the brand new season uh, as as Yeovil Town FC, and um, and uh, it was it was not without its problems uh, because of, of various things. Um, not uh, not smallest being that uh, there was a bit of a scandal, which. Um, the Dorset FA uh, got involved in, um, which which was uh, something to do with a captain 
who played three games under an assumed name <laughs> and um, uh, that was a bit naughty and um, Yeovil were reported and they'd also been reported to Somerset League uh, but you know these these kind of things happened on a regular basis mm. um, in those days but uh, that that was that was when the very first Yeovil Town began yeah so, so roughly sort of 1908 then, really? No, 19... a bit earlier, 1906. Oh, right, OK. I think it was the end of the 5-6 season. Yeah. But by the time we got to 08-09, they were very much the Oval Town because they won the southern, southern District, sorry, Southern Section of the Dorset District League and they were runners-up in the Somerset Senior League, so uh, as the Oval Town. Yes, they were, uh, and as as you can see, um, when you see some of the teams that they were playing by now, and the fact that uh, you know there were very there were some pretty strong crowds at those days. Um, you know, there was something like seven hundred clubs, uh, seven hundred people rather, travelled uh, from you or to um, uh, to the places like uh, like of Weymouth. And uh, they would go anywhere. Mm. And mm. Uh, at that point, uh, it was a very exciting time um, to play football uh, and to be involved in, in anything, really, because the shackles had come off. Uh, the <coughs> Victorian era had finished with all that that entailed. And, of course, we, we were still you know seven or eight years away from the Great War or, or four or five years away from the Great War. People were a lot freer. Yeah. They were under Victoria, and um, and and it showed in the fact that uh, more and more people were getting involved in football, were playing football and rugby for that matter, um, and that and that's how it went at, at that time. So the I guess you could say those were the original Green Army then. Yeah, it was the original Green Army. Yeah, they, yeah. They, I mean, crowds at Penn Mill at that time were around a thousand. Hmm. I mean, at that point, Johnny Haywood had scored something like 80 goals in 60 games in his, yeah. his first couple of seasons. And, you know, he was well-loved and, and people would just go to watch him. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, the, the likes of uh, coming back from a, from a game to Penmill, to, to the station, which, as you know, is just, just up yeah. the road. Yeah. Crowds would wait for them to come down to welcome their heroes. And, and they would put... Um, they would put fog signals down on the tr- on the railway which would sort of explode as the train went across them <laughs> as a greeting uh, to welcome back the heroes that, it was that kind of enthusiasm but they did, I see that they did have a game abandoned uh, as a, I presume it's a, a referee died did he um, yes uh, uh, he, I believe it was a case of um, uh, a guy called George Batrick bless him who um, he was an experienced man but um, the crowd got to him a bit during this game. Um, I think it was against Boscombe. Yeah. Um, but he, he just went from the field. He'd, uh, he'd had enough after about 10 minutes uh, complaining about how he was, how he was treated. Um, and unfortunately, um, he, was, he was arrested a couple of days after. Um, it looks like he'd had some sort of mental breakdown. Uh, um, and uh, it, it said in the paper that he was suffering from rambling mental aberrations. Oh dear. Um, and in fact, he, he was he was uh, put into an asylum and, and certified insane. Uh. Um, insanity in those days didn't mean what it means now. It meant that he was clinically depressed. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, the poor guy obviously couldn't take any more. Um, yeah. 
and I would imagine it's nothing like the kind of abuse that referees take now. No. Um, but uh, yeah, that's that's what. Um, so you, you could chase referee abuse then back to then. Yeah. Oh, Dear me. Yeah. Certainly. <coughs> um, so where are we now? We're up to 1909, 1910. Yeah. Um, by which time Yeovil Town were. Bottom, second from bottom of the Somerset Senior League, uh, but on the other hand, they were second in the Dorset and District League. Yes, they were. It, it's difficult to know exactly what the situ- situation was there because um, you know the, the two leagues. I mean, there were only six teams in the Somerset League um, at that point um, in in that version of it, and um, so I think quite possibly they took that less seriously. Than they would the Dorset League, as mm. you can see, there's some there's some strong sides in there. Yeah, quite. Um, and I think that's um, d- during their tenure in the various I- I- the various eras on the Somerset Senior League. Um, certainly, it went up and down as far as yoga were concerned. Mm. Um, I mean, you can see the following year there were only six, uh, five teams in it. Yeah, there yeah. Was only eight. Um, there were only eight league games, which you know, which is la- largely irrelevant. But presumably, that's why you, you, you've pointed out already that they were applying to go in differently so they could get enough games to play. Well, yeah, that's that's correct. And of course, they always were um, very aware of what was going on at Petters United. Yeah. Um, who um, there was rumours that Petters were going to apply to the senior league in 1911. Mm. Um, they were then playing on the ground in um, uh, Victoria Road, uh, I think it was, um, and uh, and then it w- they were gradually coming. We we were gradually coming towards 1914, mm. uh, when of course you know everything went um, was stopped. Yeah. Um, but because b- before that, um, uh, what I found, uh, and I and and there was a point. I can remember the day it actually happened on my research. There was, I found just in a very small, what we call a nib, yeah. uh, as you know, um, yeah. a little nib in the um, in the Gazette that said about um, a young man who was a yodel player um, who was on the Titanic. Yeah. And when I found that, it was a case of I was possibly the only person alive that knew that. Really? Yeah. Um, nobody. I'd never seen that written anywhere before. I'd never heard it mentioned anywhere. Mm. But there was a young man on the Titanic. Um, he was going over to Gloversville. Yeah. Um, his name was Harry Spinner. He's a former player, local guy. Yeah. And uh, he was on the Titanic. He didn't make it of it, uh, sadly. No. But um, that was that era. And um, yeah, that was a couple of years before the, the Great War. Mm. But it was finding things like that. Yeah. Finding little snippets of information that, that brought the club, uh, bought the the, the uh, bought the the actual narrative alive again. Mm. Uh, mm. You know, I love that. And I see, come nineteen eleven, for example, Johnny Hayward was still knocking him in twenty three goals that season. Yeah. Um, which is. Uh, not bad. Well, you know, when you look at it, by the number of games he played in that, it was uh, yes, he was pretty prolific, really, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Yeah. And uh, there's a picture of him in the book. And yeah. um, I was fortunate enough to um, to meet. I think it was his great niece. 
uh-huh. uh, who had pictures of him and knew about him and, and had his medals and so when I was doing the research 20 years ago and that, that was that was quite um, quite humbling mm. to actually to actually be able to do that yeah absolutely uh, I mean 1912 came and um, as I said that was the year of the Titanic but uh, that was also the year where the senior league um, split into two divisions yeah. there were just some there were more clubs deciding they wanted to play senior football mm. um, I mean you can see for example new uh, Timsbury came into the equation which is just a small mining village just south of Bath yeah um, but they were strong enough uh, in those days to come in um, whereas down the road at Petters they were still going and they tried to get into the Dorset League which was strong there but uh, went into the Wiltshire League uh, instead um, and uh, by that time I mean they were they were chugging along the town were still at Penn Mill um, huge crowds were going to uh, to Penn Mill at the, uh, for some games 1500 um, saw them play Clevedon really uh, I believe it was um, which would have been what 1912 um, and th- those times they were playing in the FA Cup they were playing in the Amateur Cup there were very strong uh, football wise it was very strong then so w- would you say that at that point Yeovil Town had sort of if you like got the upper hand on Petters United by then they were playing stronger they were they were playing um, stronger football up until around that time as you can see in 1912 for example Yeovil Town won the senior league and Petters were bottom yeah um, but then um, the following year when the the uh, Yeovil um, Yeovil were in both divisions, uh, both leagues, Somerset and the Dorset. Uh, Petters United just began to get slightly stronger. Yeah. Um, but of course, uh, things were progressing worldwide, and um, it all became largely irrelevant after that. Yeah, quite, quite. Um, so I mean, it, the, you know, the war, <coughs> excuse me, ended. Um, sorry, started. I mean, uh, at what point? You know, I mean, during the, the war period. Uh, did did you manage to find out any sort of heroic stories or any sort of wartime exploits of any of the players? Um, yeah, well, it was um, just prior to that um, is when the clubs actually fl- uh, merged just before the war, April 1914. Yeah. Um, for example, they were you know, uh, that was still sort of three or four months away from when everything began. Go. So, yeah, we were looking really at... Uh, just prior to the, the Great War, the two the two clubs had been talking, uh, Petters and Yeovil Town had been talking about a merger, but there were um, certain amount of um, trepida- certain amount of trepidation, um, and uh, they had a, the annual dinner at the Borough Restaurant, and and it said in in uh, my in my book that uh, most of the speeches were devoted to the merger. So right. the merger was well on the uh, well um, on the way. Um, Petters were all in favour it, but um, the mood changed, as I said, to one of sort of suspicion um, because they weren't used to very long journeys. Yeah. And of course, this this merge side that that they were deciding on was um, was almost certainly going to be playing in the Western League. Right. They had applied for the Western League for the 14-15 season, which yeah. obviously didn't happen. Right. Um, and that was the that was the catalyst of the two clubs coming together. 
Right. Um, but um, most both sets of supporters met, um, and uh, Town voted for, and Petters voted against. <laughs> right. Um, um, and then there was a further meeting, and uh, what have you, um, in in the weeks ahead. Um, and there were 60 attended a, another meeting at the Victoria Hall, uh, which was actually on Friday, May the 22nd. Right. And um, that was when Yeovil and Petters United were formed and played, uh, they were playing the Western League um, with also teams in the Somerset and Dorset Leagues, uh, because with, with two lots of players, they could afford to do that. Yeah. Um, and uh, of course, they also entered the FA Cup the, the um, Charity Cup and there were various other sides in Shaftesbury Leagues, Perry Street League and Yeovil League. It, it, it just took off. Yeah. But of course, sadly, uh, it, it stopped. It, was, it, was, it stopped. Yeah. And um, what, um, what also was fascinating to me was just prior to the very last game at Penn Mill in, in 1914, they erected um, a cover, a covered accommodation. Um, if you look in the book, there is a picture, the only picture from that era, the earliest one I could find, with uh, a young man standing next to the goalpost. Yeah. That picture was taken on the day that that little stand was opened. Right. As far as I can understand, that was the only game that was ever played with that stand in situ, uh -huh. because the... the um, uh, the following season didn't get played, and of course, Penn Mill never, was never played on again. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, when the war intervened, didn't yeah. you know? Are there any tales of, of daring do from Yeovil players? Well, it's um, they didn't tend to um, report on sort of uh, that kind daring do as such, but of course, the, a lot of players did did lose their life. Yeah. Um, and uh, for example, uh, there were two brothers called Charlie and Dickie Larkham, who were both killed in France. Yeah. Um, and the likes of uh, gents called Bowerman and Luffman were were very prominent players uh, during the war, and they passed away as well. Yeah. And there were others, but um, everything pretty much shut down. Um, and uh, there were the good thing was that Penn Mill uh, and many other grounds around the country in that time were dug up or were used for other for other things and didn't um, didn't uh, recover yeah uh, some clubs who had their, their wooden grandstands were found that uh, the, gr the grandstands were broken up for firewood and that, this kind of thing but yeah. Penn Mill existed and uh, there were a few friendlies played um, just after the end of the season uh, just after the end of the war in 1919 um, but they were mainly just sort of kickabouts to raise funds uh, but in 1919 football just began to, to, to get together again players came back uh, those that were fit enough to play um, and of course um, people were eager to play again after the nightmare of, of the last four or five years Yeah, absolutely. so it, it, everything kicked off very quickly um, and of course, the two clubs had to come together again. Yeah. Uh, because although there was a merger, um, they never actually played any football. So the start of the war kind of seems like a, a logical point in which to uh, end our first episode. But before we get to that point, um, 
Uh, I see in the book, you know, it says Hewish is born. Um, was it during this period of time that the the Hewish, the old Hewish ground was was built and and you know moved into? Um, yes, it was. Um, no, ne- they'd been negotiating for a while just after the war because um, um, Penmill was no longer a going uh, concern, um, and the Hewish, which was owned by Brutton's Brewery, um, there was already a sports ground there. Yeah. Um, and so the, the the two clubs had got together, um, and you know it was it was a situation where whereby just after the war, um, people were just so eager really to get together and to be shown that they were doing positive stuff. Yeah. And rather than the two clubs being suspicious of each other, um, you know they finally got together, and um, there was. Um, uh, they began negotiating to try and move on to the brewery field, which became uh, Hewish. Right, right. Complete with its slope, of course. Complete, complete with its slope. And and the wonderful thing was the the stand at Penn Mill, um, the, the the main stand, which which did survive, um, which incidentally, um, as far as I can work out, stood on where the gardens are of the uh, the houses in Lyde Road. Yeah. Anybody who lives in Lyde Road now could well have had uh, parts of, of the stand in their garden. <laughs> and um, that would be a nice uh, selling point. Yeah. Um, but that stand went across to uh, the Hewish. And um, and every, the long process of getting the ground together started up for, for that new season in the Western League. Yeah. Um, and uh, they'd, they'd, it said that the, the club AGM, they were full of optimism again, uh, despite that previous season tailing off. And uh, Somerset League had rejected professionalism, which, which shows us that Petters, some, uh, Yeovil and Petters were, were looking uh, to that era. Yeah. Um, so the club could field amateur and professional sides in two different divisions, two different leagues. Yeah. Yeah, and I see just as a footnote, uh, the goal scorers in 1919 and to 1920, which is the first season we're going to talk about in our next episode. Yeah. So this will give you something to think about. That Johnny Haywood scored 52 goals, which is not a bad total. It's not a bad total, and he he was he was in his prime. Yeah, um, he he uh, he carried on. Um, he was prof- He was playing obviously in the professional side then. Um, and they were playing. If you look in the Western League in that season, um, players really um, had to be professional where at all possible. When you go into the likes of Barry yeah. in Wales, Bristol on a regular basis, Swansea, Swansea Town Reserves, mm. Yeovil to Swansea for a yeah. working man, yeah, you know, um, Torquay and places like this. So yeah, it was it was an era, and he he was one of the top scorers. As you can see in the picture, he was big, tall, strong, athletic-looking guy, mm. um, and he won many a many a cup and, and many a medal for Yeovil and Petters. Well, we can look forward to talking about Johnny Haywood and the next twenty-five years in our next episode. So do join us again next week, and uh, we will cover the years from nineteen twenty to nineteen forty-five. So thank you, Kerry, for today's offering and um we'll join you again next time thanks it's uh, i love it thanks you have been listening to part one 
of the Yeovletown Football Club Story with Terry Miller and A.D. Hopper. This has been a Three Valleys Radio production.